Welcome to the First Prez Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. Our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Prez at firstprezcos.org. I need a baton, right? One of those orchestra. Ready? It's like an orchestra. Good job, good job. And you know, we love to say that phrase, good job. Good job, Lydia. Good job, Chris Collins. Don't you grateful for the praise team who allows us to experience worship like that? And uh, and all of those guys. We're starting a new series, Good Job, Your Work Matters. And um, before we dive into that, there's one thing I want to share with us just by way of celebration. You know, each year as a church leadership, we gather up and we, we kind of project out the year to come. Uh, what kind of impact could we expect to have as a church? What kind of resources do we need? You know, we set a budget and a hope for giving. I want you to let you know as we finish up 2019... That as a church, we not only met our our goals for for giving to the work of the Lord here, but we exceeded them and moved into 2020 in great strength. So thank you for that. And, amen. It's worth celebrating. And uh, if you remember, there's something significant for Christmas catalog. This year... Our response to that as a church was so big, it was bigger than anything that we've done in the past, that we were able to bless every single ministry partner in that catalog in ways that we have have never been able to do before. So I want to thank you for that, for using that, and for leaning into all that God is doing here. Let's give him thanks and praise for for the mission of God at First Press. And we get into good job. And we're going to look at Genesis 1 as we start this series. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles. Scripture will be in front of you, and as we open the Word of the Lord... Let's open our hearts in prayer. Lord, unless you have mercy on us, these words on this page, they can sit as dead letters. And so we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit because we need to hear from you. We need to hear your voice. We need to hear that you're saying something to us uh, about our lives, about our work, about our purpose, and about your grace and your love. So speak to us, Lord. To the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Genesis 1 at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning. When? The sixth day. Good job. Isn't that a phrase that you love to hear? When when someone says to you, good job. Doesn't that feel good? I mean, you want to hear that. What it means is that you... You saw something that needed to be done or, or you were given a task and you used your gifts, your energy toward it. You did, you did what you could and it helped. It contributed. So much so that someone turns back to you and says, good job, good job. 
That's a phrase we love to hear. But it pales in comparison to that phrase that Jesus used in one of his parables. Maybe you know what I'm talking about, where he said, well done, good and faithful servant. Matthew 25, Jesus was telling this parable, and he says, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I gave you a few things. And you were faithful in them, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Good job. Well done, good and faithful servant. We're starting a series, this is a big idea, about your work, about the things you do in your work, that your work matters, your job matters. We want to talk about, you know, the things that we set our, our, our hands to, the things that we set our, our minds to, the tasks that, uh, that we have in front of us. How does faith apply to work? Does God care about my job? Is God involved in what I'm doing in the world? Now, a, a lot of you might be thinking, okay, great, because um, I'm retired. <laughs> so it sounds like I got six weeks off church. And what am I going to do with my time? I advise against it, okay? I advise against it. You need to be here. Because even though you might be in that retirement stage, you are still at work in this world. Have you noticed? Can I get an amen out of my retired folks? Anybody? You're still at work in this world. So when I say work, when I say your work matters, I'm not just talking, some of, for some of us that means we go to our job, we go to our place of work and we log hours and we make our effort and, and we get paid for that, we draw a paycheck for that, we're in that stage of life. But actually for most of us, that's not what that means. When I say work, when I say your work matters, I'm talking about everything that you do with your time and energy. Anything that you spend your time and your energy on in the world. Maybe you're, uh, you know, you think, well, I'm, I'm exempt. I'm a student. I'm, I'm just preparing for a season of work. Or you think, well, I'm, I'm out of this one. I'm a stay-at-home parent. This has nothing to do with me. No, no, no. This has, this has something to do with each and every one of us. That's how big work is. The only group I'm going to exempt is uh, that bunch that's down at the nursery, down the hall. Because <laughs> the only thing they're working on is they're working on filling those diapers. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> And that's another story. That's another thing. But for the rest of us, your work matters. What you're doing matters. The goal of this series is to get you thinking about God and how, how He has purposes for you in your life beyond this hour of worship. We come in and we give God this hour of worship. It transforms us. It's glorious. It changes our hearts. And then we go out and then we think, well, what does God have to do with that other 167 hours of the week, right? God is involved in that. Does God care about your work? Does God care what you're doing in the world? Absolutely. Your work matters. Now, for too long, uh, the church was confused and it separated work into categories of sacred and secular. And it kind of said, if you want your work to matter to God, you've got to do something sacred. You've got to work in the church. Like the only people whose work matters to God are the priests and the monks and the nuns and things like that. Well, that's wrong. And during the uh, Reformation, Martin Luther, John Calvin, they did a lot of work to reset that, to restore the dignity of work in every different aspect of life. Wherever God has called you, he's put you there for a purpose, and you can glorify God in your labors. But even with that, we still get confused in our thinking about work. You know, we get too wrapped up in work, like it's our identity. I am what I do. And all that I am, all that I'm worth is what I produce in my 
work. We get our identity all wrapped up in it. Or we use work. We use work to try to prove ourselves, to prove our worth, to justify our existence. You see, I I belong, I can do this and this and this. And we use work in the wrong ways. Or sometimes, sometimes we think of work, and, and see if this is you, we think of work as what I have to do to earn enough money not to work, right? So work is what I have to do to earn enough money to not work. I work to not work. Working for the weekend, right? Anybody? Sometimes you're in those stages of life, right? There's got to be more to it than that. It reminds me of that story of the businessman who went down to Mexico and bumped into a fisherman who was sleeping on a boat that was pulled up onto the beach. And he had been working so hard and he was on vacation. He was like, it frustrated him. It's like, Ah, oh, he was angry at this guy. He said, you got to, what are you doing? You got to wake up. You got to do something with your life. You need to go, you know, do, make something of yourself. Fisherman says, por qué? Why, right? Why? And he says, well, you, so you can get a, a degree and, and then you can get a job and you can, you can have some success and you can make money and, and one day you can retire and have, maybe you'll have enough money to, to buy a boat. And, and maybe pull it up on the beach in a paradise island and, and fall asleep in the sun, right? Right? And the fisherman's like, brother, I'm already here, you know? <laughs> work to not work doesn't work. You've got to have something more. But even when we're, when we're following Christ into our workplaces and we're trying to use our work to glorify God, even then we get confused. Like you say, God, you say that my work matters to God. Okay, well, I can believe that. I can believe that if you mean my work matters to God when in my work I'm able to produce virtue and justice in the world. Well, that's good. But some of us are in jobs where you don't have a lot of influence in that kind of a way. You're not going to make a huge impact in that way. So there might be something else. Or some of us say, okay, work matters to God. Well, work matters to God. I can believe that if you mean that my work matters to God as long as I use it as a platform to share the gospel, to evangelize others. Well, listen, I hope that you look at every single sphere of influence that God has given you in your life as an avenue for the gospel. I mean, I hope that you are open wherever you are to speaking about Jesus and having those conversations. I don't know where God wants to use you to bring someone home to him for, for eternal life and glory. But look, that can't be the only reason you're in that job. That can't be the only reason that you do the things you do and, and use the time you use and, and you're in the job that you're in. There's got to be something else. So what is it? What are we doing? And why does it matter? We want to say in this series, your work matters to God and your job can be glorious if you glorify God in your job. Now, it's a big question. That requires a big answer. And uh, so we're starting this series back at the beginning. And when I say the beginning, I mean Genesis 1.1. In the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. That's the beginning. God created. Now, 
we, we jumped into doctrine of creation right there, right? So let me just say, as your pastor, okay, theories of creation, understanding of creation. Some of you know these things like new earth, old earth, theistic evolution, lots of different ways that people have tried to work out the mystery of creation. Here's what I want to tell you. You're thinking people, read your Bibles, study what you can, and understand as much as you can, and apply the model that makes sense to you. And when you do that, please do it humbly (laughs) towards the other models that exist. Why? Because the truth is, you don't know what happened either. (laughs) Unless you want to come up here and tell me you were there. (laughs) Right? So apply it humbly. But here's the point. Here's the point. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Maker, of heaven and earth, right? Here's the point. You are not the product of impersonal forces or cosmic accidents. You were made by God. Oh, man, we, we want kids that are, that are listening in. We, I saw a dad elbow his son when I said that earlier today. He fell off his chair. He yelled him in so hard. Because as you're growing up in school, you hear all these theories, you hear all these theories. Nobody mentions God. But you know what? None of those theories discount the existence of God, and none of them evacuate the authority of Scripture. And you need to remember this. You need to know this. Listen to me. You are not the product of impersonal forces or a cosmic accident. You were made by God. And that's the point. Made. God made. When you say that in in the beginning God created, that Hebrew word is a word that's used for just human work. It's a word that's used all the time just to describe work. God worked. God fashioned. God made something. God artisaned, if you could take that word, make it a verb, that God did something. He, He got his hands involved and he worked and God delighted in it. He delighted in it. You see time and time again in the creation narrative, God, he made something and then he sits back and he says, man, right? That's good. That's good. God worked, and God delighted in work, and and God rested. And we're going to get into that as we go along. As the passage goes on through creation, we get our scripture for today, and what I want you to see is how the tone and the pattern of the, of the narrative changes as God gets very personal now. He leans in, and he makes his most precious creation He makes you and me. Look at this. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. You see, this isn't the impersonal uh, and God said, let there be, and it was. No, no. Do you see what's happening here? We get to lean in with God. We get very personal with God in the scripture. As we enter the very counsel of the mind of God, talking to himself, talking to to himself, what should we let us? Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Now people have quizzed for whatever, you know, centuries about why is that plural, let us, right? Why is that plural? The Hebrew language, you should know, does not use what we call in English the royal we. 
The royal we is when someone is, is, is royalty, and so they speak of themselves in the plural kind of to multiply their, uh, their influence or something. Like, like, we don't think our grandkids should give up on the throne and walk away from the monarchy or something like that. <laughs> just to take, just, just take, I'm just taking an example. Of, you know, they might say we in that instance, but, but in, in Hebrew, you don't do that. In Hebrew, you don't do that. Uh, there's no royal we. And it also doesn't make sense that God is talking to the angels or the heavenly host. Why doesn't that make sense? Because we're not made in their image. So who's the plural in whose image we are made? Well, the scripture is giving you a hint here. God is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And together they say, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness that they may rule. And then it goes on, okay, verse, uh, where are we, catch up with myself. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own what? Image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. The image of God, that's a huge idea, it's a huge category, it could be its own sermon series, okay? The image of God, what does that mean for us? Because of the image of God, every single human being has dignity and value and worth because they bear the image of God. Because of the image of God, we can say that every human being has creativity. We've been made in the image of a creator. And so we have some kind of creativity to us. Because of the image of God, human beings are different from the animals. We're self-conscious. We can look at ourselves and think about ourselves. And we have self-consciousness and intelligence. We're different. We're different. Because of the image of God, all races are equal. Our people are, are on equal footing. They have equal dignity, worth, value. Because of the image of God, because of the image of God, because of the image of God, uh, we, uh, we have intelligence and uh, capacity to rule, to exercise authority, some dominion. You can influence the things around you because of the image of God. You might not feel like you can, but you can. But let's focus in on this one aspect, which is work. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and do what? Subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So, so look, God blessed them and said this to them. God blessed them and told them to do this. God blessed them and told them to get to be active, to subdue, to rule. That's, that's active. That's doing something. That's, that's an expression of your, your power, your dominion. You're going you're gonna to do your job. So God blessed us and said, now do your job, do your role, do your work. What's the point of that? Work is not a curse. It's a blessing. God made us to work. It's inherent in us to want to use our gifts and our abilities to make a difference, to play a role. To make, to make something different around us and to influence. That's why we love it when someone says, hey, good job. Because you were made to work and our work matters to God. Now, a couple of phrases in here. He said, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, that means more than procreation and population growth, friends. That's describing a role that we are to play in bringing the world around. It means we have a role to play in bringing the world around to its full potential. There's something that we're supposed to do 
As human beings, as as the creation in the image of God, there's a, a place, a role that we have to play. Now, some people criticize that verse, don't they? They say, okay, this is exactly where the problem comes from, this uh, Judeo-Christian idea that we are to subdue nature. That's the verse that, that gives us the, the free reign to exploit the natural order and, and wreck everything. This is not license to exploit the natural order. This is a responsibility to learn and play the role that God intended in His created order. Do you follow me? And so we're going to subdue, we're going to fill the earth, subdue, and, and, and that's going to be a blessing. And then we're going to rule over the beasts. Now, ruling over the beasts, that means more than training your dog to sit, okay? I mean, that's important, and it's a great example, especially if the dog sits after you say sit. I'm proud of you. But, but it means more than that. It means you and I, we have a place at the very top of the natural order, and all of the fish and all the birds and all the whales and all the ring-tailed lemurs and everybody else. They all, to some extent, depend on us. And the choices that we make, they impact them. We're feeling that right now, aren't we? As we look across the seas at at Australia, and they're talking, you can't even count the number of creatures that have perished in fires. And and we wish we could save all of them. Something in our hearts, wish we could save them. Why? God made you to play a role. God made you to play a role. Now, this is different, if you're following along with me, this is different from a lot of what we hear about environmentalism in the world today. Why is it different? A lot of times environmentalism will take the posture of the the, the world, the natural world, it needs to be protected and untouched, like you need to set a bell jar over the natural world, and we have no role in it, we're not to intervene, we're not to do anything to it at all, right? We're to set it aside, don't mess with it. That's not what this is saying. What the scripture is saying is that you and I, we have a role to play. We have a role to play in God's authority to bring the created order into the purposes that God has for it. It's a doctrine that we call creation care, okay? Creation care. We have a responsibility and a duty. But even more than that, where we want to get to again is work. So I want you to see that Genesis right here, verse 28 of Genesis chapter 1, this verse and, and, and what God gives us to do in this verse, this is the very foundation of every single thing we do under the category of life we call work. Let me say one more thing. You know, hey, this is, a, this is kind of a think with me sermon, Okay. This is kind of a layout the category sermon. We're entering a big series, big thoughts. It's kind of like when you get that puzzle at Christmas, you've got to lay it all out and then you can mess with it, right? So follow along. We're laying out a lot of thoughts, a lot of big thoughts that we're going to develop as we go on. But let me say one more thing and then I'll make some summary points. So it goes on and in verse 29, uh, it goes on and, and we get this moment on the sixth day. God says, I give you every seed-bearing plant and the place of the whole earth and the tree and the fruit and the seeds and they will be yours for what? Food. What does that tell us? We get to eat plants. Everybody like salad? All right, don't worry, because in Genesis 9, you get the meat. All right, here's how it goes. Here's how it goes. Genesis 1, you get the impossible whopper. Genesis 9, you get the Big Mac. It isn't until Acts 10 that you get the bacon double cheeseburger, but it comes. You with me? It's glory to God. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
It comes. It comes. Acts chapter 10. But here's what I want you to see in Genesis 1. Do you see what's happened here? We are set over creation. We're set over it. And you have a role to play. And your work, what you're doing with your mind and your energy and your heart and your effort and your will, what you're doing is all part of that divine mandate from God to, hey, play a role in the world that I've made. Now, what happens next? Verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. All of this is in the category of goodness. Everything we've talked about is still in the category of what's good and what's right and how God made it to be. His intention, that is all exactly as it should be. And the curse is to come, okay? But God, because he's perfect, because he's holy, because he's righteous, God can, God can sit back at the end of the day and say, good job, you did it. But you and I, we've got a different situation, don't we? We're going to get to that. But what does God do? He says it's very good. And then if, you're, if your Bible's open and you're looking down to chapter 2, the very next thing that God does on day 7 is God rests. Now think with me carefully about this. God doesn't rest because he's tired. God doesn't rest because he's expended all of his energy. God doesn't rest because he's just done with it. No, God rests. God works and God rests. God does not uh, work in order to rest. Follow? And God does not rest in order to get back to work. God works and he delights in it. God rests and he delights in it. And this is our pattern of work and rest. Now, we want to say your work matters to God. We want to say we've got this ideal that God has given us, this demand, divine mandate to go out into the world. But I don't know if you've noticed this, but work as we do it is right now very hard. Sometimes it's frustrating. Has anybody experienced that? Sometimes you're stuck not doing the thing that you want to do. Sometimes work feels like it's slipping. I can't get anywhere. Well, why is work like that? Well, it's because of what we call the fall. If you kept reading down your Bible, you get to Genesis chapter 3, you'd see that Adam and Eve, they fell from this original state. You see, it wasn't that they ate the apple. You know, it, what, God put a tree in the garden, and he said, let this tree be an emblem to you that I am God and you are not, and you do not eat this tree only because I've told you not to. And it'll remind you that, you're, that, I'm, that I'm your God. But Adam and Eve, what did they do? They took from the tree and they ate it. And what they were saying was, God, I deny you and I turn away from your authority and I deny your, your, your authority to tell me what's right and wrong. I deny your position as my God. I want to make myself my own God. All determine what's right and wrong. All decide what I do, not you. And so relationship with God was broken. The opportunity to stay in that garden eating of the tree of life for eternity was all gone. And God said, as a consequence of all this, in Genesis chapter 3, he said, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It'll produce thorns and thistles for you. You're not trying to produce thorns and thistles, but that's what you're going to get. You see? You will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. I don't know about you, friends, but that to me sounds a lot more like a description of work 
than what we've been talking to up till now. It's frustrating. It's, it's, it's always harder than you think it's going to be. There's always more resistance to it. And, you, and you're never sure that you're accomplishing anything. You're never sure that you're getting anything done. You can never turn around and say, good job. It's very good. Why? Because it's always unfinished. There's always more that you could do. There's always more that, further that you could go. It's full of regrets. It's unfulfilling. Why? Because it's under the curse. But even still, even still, you were made to work. You were made to work. And your job can be glorious when you glorify God in your job. Let me summarize a few points of this. Faith and work, your work matters to God. What do we learn from Genesis? Five points. Number one, God made the world in need of work. Lean in with me now, these five points. As we lay this all out, about good job, your, your work matters. Number one, God made the world in need of work. He didn't just make it and put it out there all finished. No, he wanted to work on it because he delights in work. Work is, is good in God's eyes. You see that? God made the world needing work just as he intended. Number two, God worked and rested and delighted in both. Work is not an inherent curse and burden that you should escape from as soon as you possibly can. Working to not work doesn't work. Work is something that was meant for a purpose. Number three, God made you in his image to continue in his work. The term we like to use here is is vice regents, that you're a representative, an emissary, an ambassador of God. In the ancient world, rulers, they would put up idols or images, icons of themselves in their far-flung reaches of of their power so that people would see that image and they would say, oh, that king still has authority and rule and influence all the way over here. Well, friends, you were made in the image of God. You are the image of God. And wherever you go, you're bearing the image of God. And you are saying by your very presence, God makes a claim on this space. God is active here. And I'm here to work. And to work after his behalf. Work is at its most glorious, its most fulfilling when we understand it under that model that we are working in the image of God. Number four, work is frustrating and incomplete. Amen? Because of the fall. And number five, God did, not, God did not make us to produce work, but made work to produce people. What do I mean? God didn't fashion you to create a prophet. God gave you work to fashion you. And I want you to get this because this is exactly why any job that you're in can be glorious. No matter where you're working, no matter what level you're working at in your job, because God didn't create you in order to create some sum of cash at the end of the day or some huge impact. God created you to be fashioned in his image and in the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ, and to grow in that. And the more that you use your job, whether you are the CEO of a Fortune 500 company or you're a laborer or a teacher or a soldier, whatever you're doing, your job can be glorious when you glorify God in your job, because that is the place where you are learning who you are, the gifts you've been given, and how God intends to use you to bless others and to glorify his name. Amen? So we're just scratching the surface. You can tell, this is like a huge category. I wanted to go on for four more hours. Are you in? (laughs) We got football to watch, stuff to do, all right? Yeah, well, yeah. Thank God the Patriots are out. But, oh, sorry, sorry. 
Where'd that come from? I'm sorry. Um, but here's the thing. There's the category, right? Everything you do in the world, what does it mean? That's the category. That's what we're going to be talking about. And friends, listen, Jesus modeled this for us. As the praise team comes up behind me to start digging us out of this hole, <laughs> Jesus modeled this for us. You see, what did he do? He did what, he did what God called him to do, his Father called him to do. And we don't get any time in the Gospels in the carpenter's workshop, do, do we? We don't even get one. I wish we had just like one description. Because I can imagine Jesus in there taking from the raw materials of God's creation, adding his creativity, his energy to take things like wood and, and stone and things that weren't, and to make them of use, to make them of value, to hand them off to others. I bet he was pretty good at it. And I imagine that he delighted in work. And I imagine that he delighted in rest. He didn't work to rest and he didn't rest to work. He delighted in the opportunity God gave him to use his gifts. And his job was glorious because he glorified God in his job. That's the kind of carpenter I imagine our Savior being. And then he took on his ministry. And it only got magnified. As he said, look, I want to explain to you what I'm doing I've been called to do. Your work matters the most when you can see it as your God-ordained call in your life, like God has me here. And I know that you're in places where it's frustrating. I know you're in places where I wish I was somewhere else. I wish I was further along. I wish I was on a different track. I wish I was, you know, I wish I'd never gotten here. But when you can say to the Lord, why do you have me here? What purpose do you have me here for? Have you called me to this? Your work is glorious. And you're glorifying God in your work. You allow him to call you into it. So Jesus said in John 14, he said to his, to his disciples, to his followers, that he's only here to do the work that God had given him to do. He said, I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. And back in John 4, he said, my food, how I feed, how I live, how I nurture my life is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his, what? Work. His work. Your job is glorious when you glorify God in your job. God has a purpose for you in your labors. He's got gifts, he's got talents that he's given you to make a difference for others and to glorify his name in the world. There was a pastor a couple of generations ago named uh, Dick Halverson. Anybody ever heard of Dick Halverson? You guys? Presbyterian pastor. He would give a benediction at the end of every service and, um, and we've used it here at First Pres in the past and I want to share that benediction with you as I close today. This is what Dick Halverson used to say over his church. I want you to hear it today. Try to believe it. You go nowhere by accident. Wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there. God has a purpose in your being there. Christ lives in you and has something he wants to do through you. Where you are, believe this in the grace and love and power of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the First Prez Podcast. 
If you would like more information, you may visit our website at firstprescos.org.